those mom and pop stores definitely are are very beneficial. Um, if you don't have anything like that, make sure you check out you know, um, uh, Blick. Uh, you, you can um, or also Arteza. And if you want to buy some art, again, go to galleries. Go to your you know just search up what kind of galleries you have in your community. I know that around um, that <clears throat> that definitely tailor and cater to um, a more contemporary crowd. But are engaging, promoting, um, and pushing the arts on your loved ones on the next. Because at the end of the, you know, if if we do live in a dystopian society, um, you know that the arts are never going to where somehow someone's going to, whether it be music, whether it be poetry, a painting on a wall, um, it's always going to just to our community and to keep telling these stories, but also record them and share them with you and with everyone. all right welcome to Coins podcast latinx creative podcast um the place where you go to find out about amazing people amazing art we have reynaldo gil zambrano um, reynaldo gil an artist out of venezuela studied in costa rica and the u.s and he has an amazing story on uh he has an amazing style um something we've Today's guest is uh, all right. Today's guest is Nathan Orozco. He comes to us from Portland, Oregon, um, originally from Texas. Um, also spent some time in Pullman, Washington, at Spokane, uh, teaching at Eastern Washington University, and now at Mount Hood Community College. Nathan Orozco is a multimedia artist, multidisciplinary artist, uncomfortably combining uh, materials, mediums that you would not expect to go together, and he does so ever so poetically combining these things and and tapping into uh, almost a subconscious level of interactivity interaction and 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 conversation he knows where he comes from he knows where he's been and he does he does mess with these materials but out of respect and with respect to predecessors through his dialogue through his artwork through his being he tends to honor the, those people that came before him um, and he taps into that artistry that once came for him to make something new and refreshing, pertinent to conversations that go on today. Um, so each one of these pieces is very special. And and without further ado, here's Nathan talking a little bit more about his work and his history and where he's going. Hope you enjoy. All right, welcome yeah. to another episode of Consafo's podcast. Uh, with us today is Nathan Orozco. He is uh, originally from Texas, joining us from the Portland area. Is that right? Portland, uh, I live, yeah, Portland area. Basically, uh, uh, Gresham is, is the town that I live in, but it's, it's in, the, in the glob. Okay. East County, uh, definitely East County, Portland proper, man. Whole mm, different thing. Right. Well, hi, Nathan. How are you, man? I'm good. I'm good, Saul. Yeah, yeah okay. thanks a lot for inviting me uh, on this I. I'm excited. Good to, good to see you. It's been a while. And with us today is also Miguel, our co-host. Hey, how's it going? What's up? Good to have What's you, up? Nathan. Exciting What's to, up, to get to know you, man. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. What do you use your microphone for? Oh, uh, well, I've been teaching online now Ah, yeah. because of just, you know, what's happening. So I've been using it with that mostly now. Uh, I bought it like two years ago or even more because I started playing the guitar more and then I started just you know, wanting to kind of play with some sound. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've done a little bit of that, you know, so it was more like um, something I've always wanted to do is just play with, you know, recording some, 
some riffs that I that I always do. Um, I started buying some more guitars, you know, kind of went on a little um, journey uh, to learn the guitar. Um, still am, you know, I like to say I've been a beginner since I was 16. So that's why I bought the stuff, you know, and, re and I'm glad I did because um, <laughs> now that I have to teach online, yeah, you know, it's something that just came cool, in handy. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, so I, so uh, that's been interesting kind of thing to do now is is make video for kind of demonstrations and things like that, you know, so mm -hmm. kind of being part of that whole, um, you know. <laughs> and do you mind if we chat a little bit a bit about that, your professional um, career as a as an educator, and then also how you balance that with with your artistic career? Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll chat yeah, about that. Right. And, and, and feel free to go into the little details because that's, that's what makes it fun. That's what makes you real human. Mm -hmm. you know, that's what we're trying to do is make you as tangible as possible. So people that are young Nathans, young Saul's, young Miguel's could be like, damn, like that could be me too. You know, uh, yeah. essentially it's, it's that, but also just connecting artists with artists and, and people with artists. Uh, and and it's, it's, we're, you know, we're, we're starting to expand our following. We have, uh, you know, right now our base is mainly the Pacific Northwest. But we're expanding yeah. towards Missouri, California. Um, no one in New York yet, but we got check. We have people in the check and people in Germany listening in on us too. Mm. So, oh, cool! So, right? so, how about that? Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yeah, man. Let's get, let's let them know what's up with some Chicanos over here on this yeah, side. Like, you know, you know, you know just, and that's some of those Chicanos in Japan. Have you heard about that? The Chicano <laughs> culture there. Yeah, in Japan. Yeah, in Japan. Uh, Japan is a very Japan. Chicano culture. No, I didn't know that. I mean, oh yeah. Uh, you mean like, um, like actual Chicanos? You know, people that have born and raised over there. And, no, they're or, they're, they're Asians, Asians that love the Chicano. Oh yeah. Oh totally. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and they they take it over the top too, man. You oh, know, they do. I, 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 they, it's it's like a, a whole other level. Uh, when I was in Japan, I saw like these groups of um of like greasers. You know, these Japanese guys that were dressed like greasers but to a level that was just almost like anime so yeah 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 cool. anime level you're i love right. japan man yeah, i love japan I, I loved it when i was there so <laughs> and speaking of that that just reminded me of like have you ever listened to that narco corrido by like a couple swiss boys that picked it up because they're like so classically trained in polka that they picked up a corrido and they're like singing it and stuff it's just like what they're like over corrido. <laughs> yeah no, totally anyways hey we have our influences yeah um, yeah yeah i mean cross-cultural collaborations man that's so just to give people a little bit of background uh, of who you are can you tell us a little bit about your, your you know upbringing and then your bfa mfa and all that and where you're at now uh well my name is nathan orozco i was born in odessa texas uh, way west texas southwest texas grew up a little bit also in uh, southern california for uh, uh, as a child um and then um um, uh, quite a bit of time growing up in uh, central uh, New Mexico in a town called Ruidoso. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Southwest born kid. Uh, a lot of my adolescent years, or most of my adolescent years were, were, were in back in Odessa, Texas, which is a very industrial oil field uh, town. It's, uh, it's a town that uh, survives off the oil field. Uh, I grew up basically in that type of labor force, like most Chicanos or Mexican-Americans, is a, we're, 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 we've always been part of some sort of labor force up here. You know, it's the picking and the agriculture, you know, um, same thing down in the West Coast and, and where I'm from in uh, uh, Big Bend country, Southwest Texas, it's uh, oil. Basically grew up in a, a mechanic shop, uh, my dad and my uh, grandfather and my brother. 
my oldest brother. I have one oldest brother. He's a year older, George. We grew up in a mechanic shop, uh, working in the oil fields, uh, working on trucks, uh, doing a lot of real industrial things at, uh, as an adolescent. Graduated from high school. I went to uh, Permian High School. Everybody knows Permian because of the Friday Night Lights uh, book. I, I know a lot about kind of uh, growing up in a, in a culture that's real Americana, <laughs> has the uh, concept of athletics and, and, and religion as kind of a um, osmosis <laughs> um, in a way. That's even the right word. Um, graduated in 1996. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was pretty much just a, an average student. I didn't think school was hard. There was a lot more things going on in the in the in the neighborhood and in the in in the early '90s that uh, that you know school was kind of secondary to everything else that was going going down with uh, you know the income of hip hop and then of course uh, the gangster rap all that stuff you know all that stuff really preoccupied most of our minds um, but you know I I made it through um, I was the kind of kid that if you know if I paid attention in class I, I pretty much could could handle whatever whatever they wanted me to do I was pretty much a quiet kid. Because uh, moving around quite a bit, by the time I hit junior high back in Odessa, I, uh, we had already moved, me and my brother, from uh, Southern California to New Mexico. So we were pretty much already kind of, you, know, um, you know, already uprooted a, a quite a bit. Uh, um, so parents were divorced. So that's why we kind of split up and moved around. You know, uh, I'm kind of your typical zennial or a Generation X kind of latchkey kid in that way too, you know, divorce in the family and all that, that happens with that. So anyways, going back to Odessa, you know, very industrial, but that's where I think I, I, I got a lot of uh, the Chicano kind of lowrider culture uh, because Odessa is also all of that, you know, it's very industrial. So the first kind of aspect of really expressing myself in a lot of art, besides just the fact that I, I like to draw and I was pretty good at it was, you know, building cars back then. Um, and, and that's also was kind of a sense of ownership and a sense of uh, doing something other than just kind of, you know, um, doing what we did in, in on the weekends in, in the early 90s, you know. Um, so uh, it, it became kind of this buffer, uh, I think, for me and a lot of my best friends that I'm still real friends with now, you know, to this day. Uh, it really buffered us away from getting into a lot of trouble, spent all our monies on cars, uh, spent all our monies on trying to fix fix things you know we never had money to buy anything good but you know we spent on a lot of junk that we <laughs> that we try to make look good uh, I also at the same time was was really uh, uh, into other alternative culture at the time that was happening in the 90s uh, I was really into grunge movement I was really into Nirvana I was really into uh, all that kind of expression that was that was happening at the time you know you had the you had the the rap expressing itself you know you truthfully as it, as it gets, you know, and you also had kind of music expressing, you know, rock music expressing yourself on a real, real uh, on emotional level. And, uh, you know, uh, and just like how generations, you know, um, tap into some certain frequencies, that's, I tapped into that too. So I was kind of hybrid in a way of tapping into a lot of the, um, what was happening in the barrio and the gangster rap that was happening with black people and us all expressing ourselves and coming together, I was also uh, understanding poetry, I think, in a whole other way um, with, you know, uh, that culture. And, you know, and, that, and at that age, all you really have is what's popular culture is offering you, especially back then, pre-internet, you know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, you, took, you took pieces just from what everybody else knew. Yeah, we're lucky because we had, we had uh, you know, radio. We didn't have any way to stream, so we just took what we got. And a lot yeah. of times it was a mixture 
of top 40 hits, including the alternative, yeah. the hip hop and everything else in between. So I yeah. think we're lucky in that sense. Yeah, I think so. You know, it, it was it was it was a way to have like a big, broad conversation, I think, that everybody was kind of on the same page of what was happening. Not that that doesn't happen now, of course, but uh, back then it was like a lot. Yeah, it was a lot more, uh, I guess, compressed, you know, everybody focused in on one thing, you know, graduated from high school, started making art pretty much, you know, because I had a really good friend uh, named Raphael, who was a little older than me and my my brother. And Raphael was an artist, an actual real kind of body artist. He was that guy that you saw that you saw in Blood In, Blood Out, you know, the, the one with the painting. He was that guy in the body. I mean, talented as you could get, doing all that type of artwork, painting, uh, uh, doing murals on cars, airbrushing, you know, all this stuff that uh, I wasn't doing, but he was doing it. And uh, he was also like, you know, a real, a real bona fide pachuco. So that's a real first time I think I, I, I respected, saw an artist met an artist that was only a few years older than us. He was just our best friend's older brother. And uh, that influenced me quite a bit because I thought it was so cool. You know, I, I, you know he, it, was, it was good stuff. Um, so I kind of started getting into more drawing that way, you know, uh, looking at a lot of Lowrider magazine, drawing like the little vatitos that were in the Lowrider magazine, you know, all that stuff, you know, all my notebook. And it got real serious later on when I realized that it was uh, kind of a thing to do uh, when I was around 15, 16, two kind of calm anxieties that I was kind of having because of family problems that we all grew up with being, being you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. you know, a, a lot of death in the family, a lot of health care issues with the elder people that were in your, that you lived with, you know, I, we had, you know, uh, great grand uh, parents in the house, we had, you know, a lot of things happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so drawing was kind of that isolated space that I could just sit in the corner of a room and, and really, really get away from a lot of that. That So yeah, it, it became a healing thing. And I, I jumped on that a, quite a bit, you know, pretty fast. I, I knew that. And you just kind of took to that space and kind of made it your own space and kind of created your own world in there kind of? Approach. Yeah, it was, it was a space to get away. It was a, it was a way yeah. to get out of some sort of kind of chaotic environment, you know, uh, uh, not nearly as bad as, as, as people go through, but it was, you know, right. uh, being a teenager, wow. issues can be, you know, major to a teenager that to an adult might be, uh, you know, so, you know, I always acknowledge that being a teacher, you know, um, so yeah, yeah, it, it created a space. It, it gave me a way to practice something I was, I wanted to be good at. Uh, sharpening a skill. And, and um, I realized uh, really on that, that I was pretty good at things that I focused on, like athletics. I played football a little bit before, and I was always pretty good, you know. Um, and so I think I had this little competitive aspect to me where when I saw a little potential in myself in something, I kind of wanted to see how good I could get. And drawing became that way, you know, became that thing where, you know, I want to draw really good. I want to draw like Raphael, you know, my, my friend. Um, so anyways, I started, started getting into that and that began my, that was my thing at the time, you know, everybody knew me as the guy that could draw, you know, hey Nathan, you know, put this on my notebook, you know, so I sit there and do something and girls would come up and that kind of thing. Cause a notebook back then was everything, you know, you had your notebook oh, yeah. and you would draw all kinds of shit on it, you know. That, that was our, that was our Instagram, yo. <laughs> that was the Instagram, yo, yeah, that was like the, yeah, those are the. Yeah. All the yeah. little, you know, you draw. No, I totally get that. I, I yeah. remember all that from, you know, when I was, we're probably very close in age, but yeah, you know, yeah. you're right. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah, was yeah. Your that was your, 
that was your first commission piece, man. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it pretty much was because it I also used it, you know, also used it that that's that's what I hold on to as a being, um, you know, in a, some sort of an identity in, in high school. And back then, oh, and, I, and I'm sure it happens now, but back then, you know, people were really impressed if you could draw really good, you know? I mean, it was something that people said. And I remember about people, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, what's his name? Yeah, Ramon, yeah, Ramon. Yeah, he draws really good because, you know, like I said, back then, this is pre-instant imagery, you know what I mean? Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, 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 that, that became what I, me a little bit, you know, it, I became you know, known as somebody who was an artist. Um, by, by senior year, I was taking some art classes or, 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 you know, kind of in those advanced art courses or just, you know, taking more art courses than I should. And then, of course, just barely getting by in, in my other classes, but doing it, you know, doing it, you know, getting the job done. And then um, started really refining it, uh, having some pretty decent art teachers in high school that 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 kind of took me to the side and said, "Hey, you know, you're pretty good at this." Senior year, got into a uh, high school art scholarship, got best of show for a piece that I did, or for my whole for my whole piece, my whole uh, little you know your little high school portfolio. And uh, when I got that scholarship, it pretty much uh, you know gave me the green light to try college because at the same time i was you know working with my dad and, and my brother my grandfather working in the in, in the mechanic area and that was always kind of the direction i was going to be headed was going into you know the the, the family business um uh, art in odessa texas at the time was not kind of on you know it wasn't a thing that you you had a real future in a sense uh, unless you were going to college. So went to the local university. The scholarship I got was pretty much just for, you know, one art class. But like I said, it was just kind of a green light for me. Uh, and then that's where I think um, uh, I really decided that this is what I should do. Uh, I knew in my heart that I was an artist. I knew that I understood the poetry. I was always uh, getting into kind of the more um, alternative music and all that subculture. Uh, which later on brings me pretty much up to the Northwest. I mean, it was always kind of a, a, a mystical place to me. You know, I would be interested in literature at, a thing, uh, at an early age. I, I, you know, I started reading a lot of uh, the beat poets. Um, Kerouac, you know, uh, it, what a lot of people at that age or for decades now kind of, you know, it sparks in some sort of interest. And um, that started kind of coming in more in college in my freshman and, you know, sophomore year. I, I remember emphatically... Uh, when I when I took uh, my my first semester, I remember my first semester I didn't do very well in my uh, my 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 general eds, and I remember driving to work with my dad and my grandpa in this really old like um, Buick boxy 1982 car, and 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 that was like our office and our changing room and our to get to work and back. I mean, they even had tools in the trunk. This was a car. This was wasn't a you know, the car. <laughs> and I remember uh, getting my grades one time, you know, in June, or right after um, that first year and, and, and being put on academic probation. And I remember that feeling that, that, oh, okay, I, I took one or two art courses, did awesome in it, loved it, but I just didn't really do anything in my general eds. I was kind of going down that same cycle uh, that my, um, that everybody else, you know, a lot of people in my, in my community would go through, you know, they take one year of course, and then they go make $15 an hour in the oil field. It's a lot, you know, easier to them in a way. But anyways, I remember getting that report card, driving in this car to like a job, you know, in the desert and going, oh shit, okay, I gotta, 
I got to do something here. Took immediately signed up for summer school and banged out like a bunch of electives in that one summer, mm -hmm. I believe. Uh, so it kind of kicked my ass. I, I, I didn't want to leave. I knew that this, that was it. I knew that going to this university, right, was some way of me of not going into the oil field and, and being in that culture and, and all that happens in that culture. So, so it's your uh, way out. It, it, yeah, that little moment. I, 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 that's just a, it's a moment that, burn, that burns in my head, just looking out the window, having like a cooler next to me and a bunch of work clothes and us going, you know, somewhere in a car, you know, just trying to get by. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when I, I put, you know, dug my heels in the ground and said, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to do this. I'm going to finish it. Uh, everything else happened with um, making art for years, uh, getting into uh, ceramics, uh, getting into pottery, getting into a great little program with a professor named Chris Stanley at UTPB at University of Texas, the Permian Bayesian, which is the college in my hometown. Uh, luckily, uh, I had a university in my hometown that I could just anchor on to. Um, and uh, uh, I had a professor there that was the first, um, the way I say it, you know, kind of the first white man I trusted. <laughs> um, uh, being 18, 19 years old in Odessa. And uh, Chris Stanley was just some um, a really interesting Midwest guy, um, uh, kind of had a monk uh, quality to him with the shaved head and a big goatee, um, uh, wear Birkenstocks and, and socks. All this was uh, very alien in West Texas, <laughs> you know? Um, um, right. Yeah, that's not the norm, man. <laughs> but no, yeah, it's not normal there, you know, so, but he was like this young professor who, who, uh, who moved, who only could find one job and ended up being in Odessa and he, and he, and he moved his family down there or his really new family. He must, he must've been in mid thirties or something at the time. And, um, uh, well, he pretty much changed, uh, uh, he stoked the fire to a point that really showed me that there is this thing called, uh, art, um, teaching, um, social, the way it can affect society. Uh, the way it, 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 it has created movements and, and those movements have seeped off into industries, just all that stuff, you know, all that stuff that, uh, that as a 19 year old kid, you don't think of art as that. I was thinking of art as I was really good at something and I wanted to show people how good I, I was at it. Um, um, but I, I didn't really think it in those dimensions as it being an agent of change and an agent of, uh, an agent or, or a, uh, a practice that would help people. Um, and not because, you know, uh, he related it to like what nurses do. He related to this subconscious thing, you know, that it's this philosophy, you know, and, and that's where I kind of got into a lot of uh, literature. I remember turning off the radio and the TV um, in like 1998 or 97 or something being you know, like having a conscious uh, feeling to not listen to radio. Uh, not watch TV and just go into a studio because remember at the time TV was just really dull and boring. Um, uh, you know, at the time the radio at the, at some point it just was like blah, right? So I was kind of part of that little culture or that culture that kind of rejected a lot of that, and that helped because uh, it it got me into just thing of who am I, expression, um, uh, what it is to be in the studio for hours and 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 meditate on on your projects. Uh, uh, all that Japanese Zen of crafting and discipline. So I pretty much did that in Odessa in a university studio 
isolating myself um, from a lot of kind of what I was doing in high school and really just focusing on this thing called art. And I, and I have, and I thank Chris Stanley for that because he was the person that would just let me go into the studio or let us all go into the studio at three in the morning, two in the morning and, and just have a free, free kind of situation. So uh, I ended up um, again, you know, uh, being known as a pretty ambitious artist at the university, just like kind of how uh, the reputation kind of went around in high school, not as much, but I was getting a lot of support from the community. And I, and I really, felt good about that. I really felt good that, you know, I, people are, are not just knowing me as a good drawer or a guy that, you know, can, can make some cool stuff, but they were knowing, you know, I was, you know, I, I was feeling good as, as playing a role, you know, in Odessa as being an artist. Um, and my art wasn't, you know, uh, what a lot of people were, were liking at the time or, or even now my art's always been like, it is now a little bit challenging and a little bit more um, textured in a sense of, of, of stuff of what I talk about. And that was because I, at the same time, remember we were listening to hip hop, we were listening to really emotional uh, grunge music and alternative music and punk music because all that was in the mix. So naturally my art was going to not going to be, <laughs> it was going to be aggressive because that's what I grew up with um, expression wise, music wise, you know? So um, uh, graduated from UTPB in, 19, in uh, 2000 um, and uh, the summer before I graduated, I, I, with another artist um, that was also looking for a, a way to get out of the, the uh, West Texas area, we ended up going, taking a trip up to uh, Yellowstone. And on the way, um, we wanted to stop in Washington State University because Chris Stanley, that was his alumni, he went to grad school. And, uh, you know, again, this is 98, 99, when we're thinking about, well, what am I going to do in the next year? So uh, I ended up um, applying to Washington State because I had visited, took a long road trip up. And that was like a real pretty epic road trip for me at the time because it was the first time getting out of state uh, as an adult. You know, I had lived in California, New Mexico, but really taking a road trip, you know, going to Yellowstone, experiencing the amazement of just these uh, things, you know, these mountains coming from um, the flatlands of West Texas, you know. Um, visited Washington State, figured that's a, a place I should try out because they gave me a full scholarship to go and um, uh, ended up uh, going to Washington State in 2000, uh, ended up teaching um, drawing, sculpture, and uh, graduated from uh, Washington State in 2002. At Washington State, you know, it was an interesting thing because uh, if anybody's been to Pullman, Washington or, or, or pretty much any small town that's a university town, You'll see that it, it it it's just it's almost like um, a make believe town, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, you it's know, everything um, grows around the campus, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it. Everything's go cougs. What you're talking about? Yeah, you know, and and uh, that was interesting for me, or in a in a weird way, because I, I you know, I came from this rough West Texas oilfield town, and I'm going to grad school. And I'm still just 22 years old, you know, a pretty young kid, you know, um, and uh, going up to this real nice part of the country to me, you know, uh, visually, uh, nature wise. And then, of course, uh, finally seeing things like fraternities and, um, you know, Greek rows and all these kind of things, right, that was not in my uh, psyche or in my, um, I knew about it, of course, but it, it just wasn't culturally what I so that was a pretty big drastic thing for me. <laughs> what a culture and, shock. 
it was a culture shock, you know, because uh, first of all, I was away from, you know, a lot of solid, you know, populated places where, you know, you have brown people and black people and stuff like that. So what happened in WSU, though, was that I got a, a little education on a lot of kind of more social political things. And that was interesting because uh, I, what I got there was really getting or or really kind of understanding, of, you know, um, that art is this activist thing, right? Um, I had never been in a place because at the time my undergrad, UTPB, was a very, very small university. So we didn't have, you know, you know, um, a lot of, uh, we didn't have any kind of Chicano art center or anything like that. You know, that wasn't just in there at all. Um, so going to WSU, uh, that's when uh, I, 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 you know, I got into uh, reading Jesus Morales, uh, not Jesus Morales, I've got um, the, um, the poet uh, that as WSU, Ricardo Sanchez. Um, so Ricardo Ch Sanchez was, uh, was ahead of the, uh, I think, Chicano program or even the American Studies program there. And he had, he had just died, I think, uh, a few years before I, I arrived there. So uh, Ricardo Sanchez was from El Paso and he had basically left this large, beautiful kind of culture of uh, Chicano activism and poetry. And if you ever read his poetry, you'll see what I mean. Um, um, very, very interesting guy. Uh, I, I, I re recommend everybody to read some Ricardo Sanchez poetry or, or, or look into who he is. I will provide um, a link below. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 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 and there's so many teachers there, you know, and um, I wasn't in the American Studies program or anything like that. I was just in the, in the visual arts and I was, you know, in my studio. But I do know that uh, he, he, he started a, a big thing there uh, and helped a lot of Chicanos art out. Um, so anyways, uh, WSU, you know, I, uh, I got into a lot more contemporary theoretical uh, kind of uh, uh, curriculum. Obviously, it's grad school. So, you know, a lot of professors there started kind of looking at my work as like, okay, well, you're really good at these things, but why are you doing it? What's the point? All that stuff that happens in grad school, you know, they kind of push you one way and they push you the other way. Um, um, so... Um, I, I really started uh, doing a lot more research on kind of cultural art movements um, and, and trying to really bring what I knew, the truth that I knew at the time when I was 22, but of course, all that truth and what I, what I had experienced, how do I bring that into the gallery? So I, I think what I did real successful at, at WSU, I think my work is I, I was pretty true to bringing the neighborhood or what I felt was a neighborhood from my experience in West Texas into the gallery, right? I, I kind of fearlessly did that. I, and, you know, nothing was going to stop me to, to be as true as possible and gritty as possible. And I think that happened because I'm in this ultra clean, um, uh, way white kind of a college town. And I think a lot of Chicanos, there are people of color there, if, if you, they get a little bit more amped that they're because they feel a little bit more isolated. Mm. Um, so my work did the same thing. You know, I got really... And my work got real, real loud. I was doing these wall pieces and the walls have graffiti on them. They were these walls I made out of ceramic and uh, used all my skill that I learned in ceramics at UTPB um, to make these large installations of uh, walls. Yeah, can we talk about the, the brick piece? I remember seeing the brick piece a decade ago, if not a decade and a half ago, mm -hmm. um, with, with the mouths kind of protruding out of them. And then, the mouthpieces and the brick, yeah, the mouthpieces. And then you had some words in some too, like vato and yeah, brown. Those and are the pieces that I, that I just immediately started doing. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember driving up with my, my little ranger 
uh, from uh, from Odessa, from West Texas, you know, the three day drive at the time, all the way up and, and thinking, what am I going to do? And I just had this envision of these, I just, I, I, I wanted to make a wall, these walls that represented these barriers that I had already, what I was thinking about and, and, and really understanding in, in my culture uh, because of being the, um, you know, being a Mexican American, Chicano, uh, being in in a real conservative white uh, environment uh, uh, that's that's Odessa, you know, real real, real Christian conservative. Uh, I, I was thinking about metaphors of like what's what is it that that's kind of a, the whole point psychology of of uh, racism and all that stuff. So uh, I started making these walls, and it was also because the wall was was also a way that I could do something repetitively and just felt like I was making something. So I had to I had to uh, sculpt these brick, make molds of brick, press mold. Uh, hundreds and hundreds of bricks so it 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 it, it was also this um meditative process of like doing one thing over and over again to build something large um and uh uh so that's part of it too was was that i made all these brick and it was these kind of labor metaphor of, of using the body and i that's something i was always thinking about as a as a, in, an undergrad in odessa was how the 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 the, the labor uh, we as a laborer are we deny everything and really accept the fact that our body is just a tool right that's used you know and it's a weird um state of mind that you have to be in to really stick with that for decades and you really think about that concept so when i when i made the wall i was thinking about all those things you know um, um so on the wall there's uh words on there there's nation there's um you know, a lot of other words that are derogatory uh, uh, because I want to use that that negativity as well as a as a wall, um, as, a, as a stereotype. Um, and and uh, uh, the one wall that I bid, the biggest wall that I did is I, I, I spent, I think, four months making this large wall. And it's a beautiful it was beautiful tone wise because I mixed all different types of clays. So I had different types of um, gradients of, of, of earth tones. But on the wall are these kind of really adolescent words, and they're all in all caps, right? And some of them are even slang, you know, they're not even spelled correctly. And they're just these stacks of these uh, barriers, in a way. Um, uh, and this was a piece that I, that I want to do as a performance, uh, because at the time I, I had found out or, or was introduced uh, through uh, uh, an art historian uh, to James Luna, and James Luna is a uh, is a Native American uh, Indian artist, uh, one of the most um, influential uh, Native artists in, in the twentieth twenty first century, who has who had recently died uh, three years ago. Um, and uh, James Luna was uh, uh, when I saw James Luna's work at twenty two years old, uh, it, it just hit me because uh, it was the first time I saw an honest representation of the pain of people of color in the Indian native community or even in the Mexican American community. Uh, because uh, as Chicano, you know, we're, we're all, we're all, we're all native to this land, you know, we're all, we're, we're, we are native Americans. Um, uh, we, we, we are akin to native Americans in this country. We, we have similar pain stories. Um, and it really hit me. Uh, one particular piece that I saw at that time was a, just a photograph of James Luna sitting with these Wayfarer sunglasses on. I think he was in a gallery with a Christmas tree next to him that was a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree and a TV in front of him. And uh, 
and him just sitting down in front of a really old TV uh, with a beer can hung on the Christmas tree. Just this, just this image. And I think with that performance, he sat there and on the screen, there was some specific metaphors that he was looking at. And uh, it, it was so simple. It was so, it was comical. It was, uh, uh, you know, being brown, you know, or, or just, you know, we understand humor when it comes to pain, you know, we make fun of it as it's happening to us because that's a way of coping, you know, um, in a way, uh, especially if you go to like uh, reservations, you know, uh, the way they use humor is, is a sense of immunity in a way. It makes them immune to certain things or some sort of spiritual uh, defense mechanism uh, that I think that humor is to a lot of Native communities. Um, so that, that uh, really uh, uh, took me to a level of uh, being comfortable with uh, doing a performance at that time with the wall. So what I did is... Um, uh, I wanted to take it to a point of, of uh, defacement. So after I built this large wall that had all this kind of a language on it, um, I wanted to do something to, to, at an instant, to deface this wall that I spent months making. So I videotaped myself with a fellow grad student of mine, uh, Squeak Meisel. Um, I, I, I uh, videotaped myself drinking as many beers as I can or that I could at the time in a matter of, I think, 20 minutes. So it was my first kind of um, introduction into uh, doing some sort of uh, real, real raw uh, filmmaking or real raw video or high eight video at the time. Um, so I video myself uh, taking uh, beer after beer. And um, um, uh, at some point, uh, uh, the person that I'm playing who's dressed in labor outfit clothes uh, in kind of a shanty apartment, which was my apartment that I was renting at the time. Um, I videotaped myself in a synchronous, synchronated kind of moments, uh, focusing in on a uh, clock, focusing in on uh, me drinking. And I truly try to drink as many beers as I can, so I actually get intoxicated. Um, so and at that time of 20 minutes, I go up to my uh, wall and in that intoxicated state, I wanted to just spray paint whatever that was on my mind. So if you see the wall on my website, you know, you, you know, it's kind of information on top of information. You have the information of the wall and all the blocks of these kind of barrier um, kind of uh, words. And some of the words are actually uh, positive words. It's just this accumulation of, um, of um, pain and thoughts. And on top of it is just this sprawled out uh, text of a phrase that I was just thinking at the time. And I videotaped myself uh, um, spray painting it in a cropped frame of my feet. And I'm wearing these kind of real worn out Nikes, um, uh, kind of street kid thing I was going for with that. Uh, so yeah, so, so uh, I wanted to deface it. And I think the metaphor I was working with at the time, and of course, you know, a lot of these things are very, very uh, intuitive as I'm making them and doing it in your, your 22, right? Um, but I think the larger metaphor was, was, uh, uh, the fact it takes time to build something and then in an instant it's, it's defaced. Wow. It, it's kind of like this, uh, this, uh, kind of like instant defacement versus this time that you built something. Um, you know, and that's a large, large metaphor, uh, but what's weird about my work a lot is, uh, 
I, I tend to post on my Facebook page these kind of passwork archive things. Um, and because a lot of the work, a lot of artwork in general, uh, it can be kind of prophetic, you know, it can kind of, it's almost like science fiction in a way, because I think an artist really taps into things when they, when they really focus in on the studio and they really give themselves plenty of time and they really craft their subconscious part of making art and making things. Uh, logic becomes this thing. You start figuring out like, well, if this happened, this happened, this might happen. You know, it's almost like a philosophical thing of logic. Um, so, you know, when I look at the wall now and I look at the, the whole Trump situation with the wall and all that shit, mm -hmm. right? It's just like, yeah, you know, I mean, it, it was these in your face things that I was trying to make that uh, now it's in your face. Now, now, now it, it's come to a point where it's, it's not just a mental, um, economical wall. It's, it, they're wanting a physical wall between us. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, uh, that was, you know, way back then that, that was the wall. And I made a few wall pieces and I did a lot of things with bricks. Mm. Um, um, you know, a lot of versions of it, uh, or, you know, as much as I could at the time. Yeah, that's, that's definitely so prophetic and it's awesome to see your journey. Cause I do keep up with your archive. In fact, uh, you know, I saw that and started doing that myself cause I oh. was, <laughs> I, I'm pretty uh, juvenile when it comes to, uh, the Instagram life. So I'm, I'm trying to catch up, but, but I thought that was a great idea of just archiving work and sharing it with the world. But where, where is your work now compared to that? Like where, where are you now in, in your personal artistic voyage? Oh, well, I just had a show uh, right before the um, closures of uh, for the virus uh, called, um, uh, well, I had searched for this one. I was at Ruben Trejo show. And then I had, uh, well, my last show was basically a statement towards the Southwest. Um, nowadays, uh, it, well, I guess for the last, because, you know, I guess I look at my work in like chunks of five year sections a lot of my work hasn't changed in the sense of my focus and what I'm trying to talk about. You know, I'm trying to talk about, you know, a, a kind of a personal experience of being a Chicano and all the anxieties um, and, and, and the native aspects of my culture, right? All the anxieties that go with it. And the way that I, I, I work is, is I, I don't forget that I'm also a maker of things. So I tend to kind of um, spread myself out with various projects that I'm working on. I'll feel like uh, what's nice about being a multimedia artist like I am, like if you look at my website, it, it, there's no one direction. It really is a statement. And the poet, I think the, the, the metaphors are what's consistent. But, you know, I like glass. You know, I like working with technical stuff. I like uh, casting metals and bronzes. I, I, you know, I like obviously clay ceramics and all the chemistries that go with it and all the alchemy that go with it. That's part of it is is um is continuously uh investigating material processes heat um and all those alchemical things that that are that are ancient right and uh i've been teaching in mount hood community college with the in a real kind of classical foundry and glass studio that i've built there for the last you know 10 12 years um so the difference between that work back then and now is that my work has gotten a bit more um detailed in a sense of, the, of, uh, of material. So it's less large, clunky metaphors. They're more uh, 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 colorful arrangements and compositions that have uh, kind of spots of intense metaphor. And I think that's because uh, as an older age now, 
you know, I'm not screaming as much, I think, in my work, but I'm definitely trying to have a more intelligent conversation, not only to metaphors of, of social practice, but also visual metaphors and, and color um, and all those things, because that's another level of uh, communicating with people is uh, visually um, and, and what happens when they see those types of uh, organizations or arrangements of materials. I like taking nowadays, like, like real combining, uh, co colliding with uh, 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 metaphors together or colliding materials together. Um, I'm combining a lot of um, uh, glass with raw materials. Um, I'm combining a lot of um, different types of fabrics now with uh, glass um, because I think when you combine uh, materials and sculpture that people don't really expect together, um, you know, uh, you, it opens up a window on how a, a person thinks about what they're looking at. So when you do look at my kind of my Facebook page or my um, Instagram page, you'll see kind of these, sometimes you'll see a week of just designs of uh, the way I can arrange dots or colors. And that's part of making art, you know, is, is, is doing assignments on, almost that, that can kind of hone your skill. I've also taken an avenue towards a more broader view in a sense of metaphor, like almost in a science fiction way. My drawings, if you see my drawings, they're almost like uh, psychedelic blueprints in constructions. That's the direction I think in the last probably five years that my work has been more like, is looking like my drawings, trying to bring in that kind of, um, and this is the honest opinion of it. When, when I was doing the walls, when I was doing the bricks, that's almost taking a, weird, a real power Western kind of way of working, the wall. I mean, you're using the language of Western culture. And as I've gotten more and more kind of a, um, uh, or the figure, right, or a lot of that type of stuff, you know, you're, you're copying a lot of those Romanesque kind of, uh, which is Western, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but as a, you go along with education and understanding your own culture and, and the chains that have been kind of put on us on what, what we think looks good and what doesn't look good, when you go into more tribal native kind of ways of working, it's more surreal. It's more spiritual. It, it talks about uh, things in that way. So I think when you look at my work now, you'll, you're, you're seeing more of that. You're seeing more of me trying to break away from a kind of a lot of, you know, real artsy, especially being in Portland, you know, there's a kind of a real conceptuality to a lot of the work, a lot of um, stuff that is, um, you know, real, real academic. And I think what I'm trying to do here or what I've been trying to do is trying to more tap into, you know, how, how would a, a native make art? And when you look at kind of the Mayan uh, culture, the Inca culture, you know, uh, it, it's not kind of what we consider the Renaissance in painting. And a lot of Chicano art is, uh, to be honest, you know, um, real Renaissance and Westernized kind of work. Uh, and that's not, a, that's not, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we all know Diego Rivera was influenced by the Renaissance muralist. That's where the, the muralism of Los Tres Grandes, you know, Orozco, Siqueiros, and, 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 um, and, um, um, of course, Rivera, right? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's definitely a, 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 an Italian Renaissance technique. Uh, and not that, that they, they were uh, stepping away from the Mayan or the more indigenous ways of making art. It still is the technique is Western. So uh, I think that's what James Luna influenced me with, is that James Luna was the first, I think, artist that I really saw. And, and of course, there's Guillermo Gomez Pena and all those guys, right? 
um, Coco Fusco, all those, you know, all those performance arts, you know, they really kind of decided that we're not going to make art like they want us to make art in the museum and in the gallery. I, I don't, I'm not going to paint, in, uh, paint a, a beautiful Indian or beautiful this or that, because that's not the truth here. So I think I'm still kind of doing that. Oh, totally. Um, um, just just yeah. to kind of let our listeners know what, what your art looks like. I mean, yeah. if you can describe it, I, I, I'm looking at your last five years and, you know, just the stuff that you shared on Instagram, but it's almost like you're tapping into that Southwestern pottery, but you're, you're putting a new spin on it with, with your know-how, with, with the casting of metals, with the casting of, or, or the messing of glass, and then all the other multimedia that you tend to, to dabble with and really perfect and meditate over. It seems like it's a, a clash of cultures, a clash of ideas, mm -hmm. you know, very esoteric, but very personal to you. Mm -hmm. And it seems like each one is kind of a self-portrait, if, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken. I feel like I, I see Nathan in every single one of those pieces. Yeah, well, that that's a that's a good response. I, I like that response um, because I like artists that when I go into mu museum, I just know that's who that is, or that's the work that I that's the artist that I really kind of gr gravitate to. Um, and it's not because they've utilized the, the same symbol over again. There's a certain way that they have created almost a um a space in the in the mind of the viewer. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um and i think that uh that's what i'm trying to achieve is that you know when you walk into i guess a show of mine i want you obviously the influences of things but uh the main goal is that you're going into a specific space in a conversation that i'm i'm having and i think also like what i try to do is like when you look in my website if you look at my past you work it, it, you won't see too much of a difference you'll know, you'll know that it's hopefully that's my work you know so no i, I like that response you know, it's hard to do though. You know, it's hard to, um, it is hard to uh, make art this way because what happens in the art world and especially in the last 20 years, you know, the art world has been very corporatized. Uh, you know, we have it being now, when you look at the art world, it, it just being another kind of um, investment venture for, you know, a lot of wealthy people now. And I don't know if, if the internet or social media has really helped that situation, but what it, you know, what it has done is that it's equal, it's basically let the gallery not be as powerful as it was before. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. So I think I, I like that part about it. Now, did James Luna have any influence on that for you as a mentor? I don't know if you consider him a mentor, but I, I, I bet he was. Um, yes, yes. Just the way he was able to just be him and just allow his art to express himself very truthfully and, and not really think about the commercial aspect of things. Yeah, I think, I think James, you know, was really ahead. And, and even Guerrero Gomez Pena and a lot of those performance artists because, uh, you know, it was taking power out of the museum with the object, right? You know, I made this thing, now it's ownership and it can be commodified, whatever. So it was a real kind of, um, a, you know, a, a kind of a rebellious thing to do against the system. And, and, and I think James's reputation, not reputation, but his, his, uh, his, uh, his projection to the world was dwindled because of that, you know, uh, he, he should be known a lot more because of, you know, like I say, he's one of the most important Native American artists, you know. So even with James Luna, he's still not as as, notif as, as known as a, as he should be as a as a you know a typical white um, artist would be in his in his career type situation. 
so yeah, you know, James, James, it, it wasn't about anything other than what he did and the energy he put at that moment to those people. And when you left, it was a conversation that he left. That was the art. And I think that's really good art is when art is not just about the object that you're seeing, it, it turns into a conversation in the psyche of people. You know, that, that thing, that, that, that important piece of art turns more into a conversation rather than just a cool object. And, and that's even more important now today because, you know, we can get in, you know, we, we have 3D printers, we have all this stuff, right? James, I think, taught me what it means to make something that's charged. And that energy of that moment, of that, that combination of materials, that poetry, right? That you're taking the Christmas tree, the beer can, the TV, the wayfarers, the chair, all of that stuff that you would see on a res that you would completely ignore and bringing that in and composing it and then you seeing it and it and it's not being it's not there anymore the next day, but that that conversation and that place in your mind that that's where it lives and it exhibits and it's mm -hmm. going to continue to exhibit in multiple people. So I think that's what he taught me was, you know, it's all about are you trying to do something unique, truthfully in art. Or is the majority of what you're doing on another bandwagon, whether it's technique, whether it's what you think you should do to be successful and be in that gallery? Because a lot of brown people, they'll change <laughs> a lot about them just to be in the gallery. You know, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, they'll change a lot of the way that they feel that they want because, you know. We're always trying to assimilate. I mean, that's we're of course, kind yeah. of programmed yeah. systematically to try to make yeah. it in this world, right? Yeah. You know, and and, I, and Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, and what you were saying is so true because coming from Texas myself, coming from Central Texas up yeah. to the Pacific Northwest, you know, I see black and brown artists and I see their work and uh, it's, it's the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. It's the pretty. It's, mm -hmm. it, it goes with the couch and the curtains, Yeah, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it. It's, it's just the pretty. And it's beautiful work. Like you said, it's, totally. it's the technique, yeah, it, yeah, the, wow. you know, their skill. The image itself is beautiful. Yeah. But then you look at it and you say, well, where's the person? Where's the gente? You know, and I see your work and I think, and when I see it, it's industrial. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it, it is gritty. It's industrial, but it's also evolving in a sense, like, like the way you have explored. Mm -hmm. And it, it does show your personal experiences and it shows how you consider your heritage that indigeneity actually shows in your work. And it's beautiful the way you blended it together. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And to, to see that, it's just, it's, it's, it is absolutely beautiful work that needs to be shared. And, well, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's not, I, th I think it's not, it's not um, a lot of galleries, you know, I think, uh, you know, it, it, my work, if you look at a lot of contemporary artwork right now, you know, you wouldn't consider it like way, way out there. But, I think what I try to do is always combat what the westernized art curator, uh, whatever, what they expect us as brown people or, or people of color to make. And like I said, you know, uh, 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 there's a lot of Chicano art that is really based off of, off of a, a, a specific way it should look too. You know what I mean? And, you know, we have to understand that we can broaden our, our visual expressions as well as people. You know what I mean? Because there's a whole younger generation of people uh, like us that are that should be in in galleries. They should be competing in the best uh, uh, museum spaces. 
you know. But the problem is, is that a lot of the art world still wants that Chicana artist to make art a certain way and to speak to a certain thing, right? Um, so yeah, I, I guess I, I try to be as free with my work as possible. If I want to go over there and kind of work on some glass and I'm just making some dot patterns, believe it or not, those dot patterns are going to be used for some metaphor about my culture. Because when you are honest, I think as a young artist, as an artist in general, you trust the fact that your poetry will come out no matter what, no matter what. And that's hard to do because we're all conditioned to try to be better or good or competitive and all that stuff. It's really, a, if you look at any of what I'm doing, when I get into like um, working with um, glass or fabric, I, I, I get into it like, oh, you know, what am I doing? Because, you know, I don't know how to work with this stuff. It's going to take me a year to figure out how to do these slump molds for glass. And I don't know if it's even worth doing, but like it always happens, at the end, it almost Frankensteins together perfectly. Mm. So it's almost like, uh, and I get kind of spiritual to a point because uh, I try to tap into that because I think that's part of it. I do really truly think that there is, when you work with certain alchemies of uh, material, it's not unlike praying that like they did or, you know, um, you know, thousands of years ago. There are certain things that kind of happen chemically when you kind of are mixing with the coppers and the glasses and the glazes and you're, and you're, and you're breathing in the, the, the clays and you're doing all these things. You're living in that environment. It's in you and your, in your veins because you're there every day. You know, this is 20 years now. Um, something is guiding you in that, in that process. Uh, and I can't really explain what it is. I can't explain, the, you know, the, because it always tends to work like it's supposed to work. So I always tell my students, like, you know, when you're sculpting a head and, and we, we have this wire and in, in this wire in 30 minutes will be a ball and that ball will be an oval. And then that oval is going to be kind of this shape. I go, as you're doing these things, there's probably somebody behind you, like a, like a ghost or a spirit going, do me, 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 do me. And I think it just takes a, a really experiencing being what a studio artist is to really understand what that is. I trust that. Uh, so I do think that there's some sort of conversation I'm happening with, with an Inca that was casting bronze in 5,000 BC. You know, when I'm casting bronze, you know, they might be there. You know, you might, yeah, you know, you be, let's see what you do today. And I think that's when you look at my drawings and my artwork, it's almost that's guiding me at this point now. I love it. There's an, instinct, there's an instinctual way of working with material now and if you look at what i was doing in my college years that's kind of a planned thing you know it's a wall i got i'm designing it it's a design I, I'm, I'm drawing it out right i'm making sure that the you know so it's it's built like like construction and uh and it's interesting that i was making walls and bricks and 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 like i said it was almost like i was still reliving that me as a tool I, i'm just another brick in this wall man all that stuff now it's like i, I try to work listening to a more spiritual voice. And I think that's why my work is looking increasingly more composed, almost like if an Indian were to, to walk in on the desert and pray, they would leave these things. And to them, that's more important than a bronze sculpture because th that it's an internal belief that this is what I'm doing here is, 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 is beautiful, right? Because it's been happening for thousands of years. That's what James taught me, right? Because mm -hmm. James taught me that a can of spam a glass of beer, a Christmas tree, and a TV is an altar that I just made. Because 
because the feeling I'm putting in there is as true as it can get. And, and, and that's very native, right? A belief system, not native would be, well, that has to be gold. That has to be money. That has to be worth something for me to even give a shit about it. It's not a tombstone. It's not carved in granite. That's kind of in my work now where, you know, I'm going to mess with something and I'm going to mess with this clay and that clay will turn into a shape. That shape will then sit on the shelf until something is ready to come and, and be attached to that shape. So I typically now have like, you know, five, six, seven things going all at once. Um, and then they'll definitely start to kind of combine together because I think I'm trusting more uh, that instinct, you know, um, th th what happens different visually is that it gets a little bit more abstracted and uh, a little bit more, um, what can I say, um, you know, a little more peyote in it, you know, <laughs> I mean, pretty much, you know. Well, it seems like it's that cultural influence that you have. And, and the life you've led and the places you've been and what you've seen and experienced. You know, you mentioned, you know, coming from Odessa. I mean, I've been out there and you're right. It's, it's as industrial as it can be, man, you know? What part of and Texas are you from? San Antonio, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I originally born there. Oh, cool. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, being out there in, in that area, it's like there, there isn't a heck of a whole lot. No. But then you leave that space and you come to a place like the Pacific Northwest, and I'm just thinking that journey that you took, mm -hmm. you know, I, I took almost that exact same journey myself. I drove up mm. from San Antonio through Denver and all the mi that. The migration. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's just another evolution of, the yeah. migra of a migration. Hmm. Yeah. And that's one thing about us as a culture is that we're always evolving and where we are a migratory people, you mm -hmm. know, and that's where the indigeneity comes in and that's where it all blends in with your work. And that's right. Um, you know, one of the things I was, I was hoping you'd talk a little more about is how, how you tap in and, and, and bring out that indigeneity in there. It, it, it's very prominent in your work. I feel it is. Well, I think the, the, most, the most important thing for all of us to do as, as Chicanos, Mexican-Americans, uh, uh, is to find out or to learn about your own bloodline as much as you can, whether it's talking to, you know, grandma, grandpa. Um, because uh, what has happened, you know, in the last hundred years, right? Um, and a lot of it, I think, has a lot to do with the, you know, with the, the Mexican Revolution, which was a very, very important time in the American culture. Very influential, very, uh, it changed a lot of American culture, that, that revolution. And I think it should be more uh, mainstream what would happen there. But uh, I think the first thing you have to do is Educate yourself about, about native culture. One thing James Luna told me, uh, he, oh, he goes, you know, I'm Indian. He's half Mexican, half Indian, lives on the res, but he's also just a fan of native culture. He liked the, uh, the, the, the you know, he liked the trinkets. He liked the, the, the native patternizations of things. He just was a fan of native culture. He just thought it was cool, too. So I think the first thing that we have to do or as a young artist has to do is to educate yourself as much as you can about the true story of the American native and, and, and what they've made, how they were as a society, uh, the, the, and not just the uh, whitewashed kind of um, uh, um, public school version. I'm talking, you know, um, getting into the books, getting into the, to the, to the, to the museum um, and, and seeing how cool it was. So that's really important first. It's hard to tap into that spiritual um, 
dimension or that spiritual frequency if you don't have the language if you don't have the, and i was talking about the native like language that's really hard to do but if you don't have the the ed education a, a foundation of knowledge about who these people actually were yeah. and uh so i'm a big fan of, of native culture i get books all the time on the northwest native uh, i i i'm not a carver but i got into carving you know uh old growth um yellow cedar and making my own knives you know i'm not northwest native but if it's native i want to tap into it i want to feel or have some knowledge um and i think that's first most importantly is to understand the spiritual tools to tap into those dimensions that can really give you things that you need that we were all given for thousands of years in those moments right um of, of uh of creativity and hope because you know creativity is is the great spirit you know it's 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 just it's, it's a great tool so you know learning about it and then i think it's um truly finally coming to terms and believing in yourself that you are a native american believing in yourself uh, believing that this is our land believing that when you drive to no longer feel that that truck stop is not that truck stop is all native land no matter what who's in control right now that's the truth mm -hmm. that that walmart when you see that walmart in in the biggest world that walmart's on native land mm -hmm. you can't do anything about it right now we right we can't you know it, it we use it it's part of it but it's on native land and, and i think it's just knowing that is a big part of being confident to tap into that spiritual frequency so I think a lot of it is believing because that's the first thing they'll take away from you is not is, is, is first asking you, well, how much, who are, la, la, la. It, 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 we're Mayan. Mm -hmm. We're Aztec. And I, and I don't believe the, the real whitewashing of the Spanish um, kind of um, percentage of what we are of Spanish versus Indian. You know, uh, uh, I got my uh, DNA test and, uh, you know, I, I have no Spanish in me at all from that test. Now, you know, I, I might have, I think it was 0.3 of somewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, I think my mother did have some, my brother, but, but pretty much down the line, our family is 80% Mayan. Well, that's just it. As we evolve as a culture <laughs> today, yeah. we're slowly decolonizing and going back to our indigenous roots. Yeah. Not just, you, you know, emotionally, spiritually, but even physically. When you think about it, you know, it's a big transition. It's taken so many generations, mm -hmm. you know, to evolve back to that. Yep. Something else. And Nathan is a teacher. I'm a teacher. I'm going to throw in that, that, that reading homework for people that may not find an immediate connection to, to uh, maybe a native roots or don't know where to begin. I know three books that really have changed my life. One is The Four Elements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, we've got uh, Neither Wolf Nor Dog, which is such an incredible book. Um, of a white man being asked by a, a Native American elder to write the book, and he can't understand why, but it's so deep and so profound. At the very end, man, it, it brought me to my knees, and I cried. Wow. I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah. I had no idea why it was happening, but I finally realized I had an epiphany, right? And then the last book I would say is um, Spirit Run. It's, it's, we're actually going to have Noe Alvarez next week or two weeks from now cool. to talk about his book, but he's a Yakima native. Uh, nice, and yeah. he just has a great story about finding that indigenous root through migration. So yep. perfect that you guys are talking about, but uh, I don't know if you have any, any additional references that people could look at, look for. 
to, to be able to tap into that a little bit more? Well, um, probably not some, I mean, literature wise, uh, you know, there, there's, well, let me go into more the visual artists because I think a lot of them too. Um, yeah. If people don't know who James Luna is, uh, Google to. James Luna, mm-hmm. um, RIP um, uh, video, uh, Guillermo Gomez Pena, another uh, uh, Chicano artist, uh, Mexican-American Chicano artist. I mean, uh, and, and the reason I bring those two up because they're at this age now where we're, we're losing a lot of these uh, generation of, uh, of artists that really broke down a lot of doors and barriers for us. Uh, uh, if you don't know who Ruben Trejo is, uh, Ruben Trejo was a artist in the Pacific Northwest as well in Spokane area. I just uh, curated a show of Ruben's work um, really? at Mount Hood Community College in the Visual Arts Gallery. Wow. Uh, I was also part of the um, uh, committee to put in permanent work at the new Portland County Courthouse, the big courthouse downtown that they're building. And uh, I was lucky enough for, to uh, propose Ruben's artwork to be in the permanent collection. So Ruben's work was uh, purchased and will be on full display forever in the courthouse in downtown Portland. You know, I think that's a, a big also part of it. Uh, going back to your question, Miguel, a little bit is, is, um, is uh, you know, making art is, is also uh, what are you in the, what role do you play in the larger art world or cultural world that you live in, right? So, you know, part of my making art a lot of what I do, if you look at my website, well, there's a lot of time doing what I just said is curating a show for Ruben Trejo, a, a professor that helped me out and didn't get the recognition. And now I'm in a position to 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 do these things. Right. That's part of it, too. Um, I think spirit, you know, the, the the past spirits, right, the past, Indian, they want acknowledgement. You know, they're 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 And we're the ones. Right. They're calling out, you know, saying, you know, we need this. Right? So, yeah, Ruben just had an exhibit at Mount Hood. Happy about that. You know, and there's so many, you know, uh, to, to name out. There's just so many. But those are the ones I think that at this point now, because they're, they're a generation that's passing, uh, a lot of their artwork, a lot of their voice isn't on Instagram. It isn't on YouTube. It's not on, it's not on social media because, you know, they, they, they slipped away right, you know, at, at this cusp. But we should not forget them. They're in the books, you know. They are in the canon. Uh, don't let these people uh, be forgotten. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, Ruben Trejo, check them out. James Luna, check them out. Guillermo Gomez Pena, you know, check them out. Uh, we have our own Tres Grandes, too, just like they did in, uh, in Mexico, right, with, with uh, Siqueiros and all that. That makes right. me, yeah, that, that, right. that, that makes me so happy to hear that. I never thought about them <laughs> yeah. as the Tres Grandes, but obviously I have a lot of respect for those three artists. Talk about them in my class all the time with Good, these yeah. high schoolers that have never really seen any you know art like that and yeah. and definitely like that artifact piece that yeah. James Luna created in the yeah. 80s and like I talk about that oh yeah, yeah. yeah. got yeah. to I got to see him in the studio playing around yeah. you know welding metal together when I was just a little boy uh, oh really to be a college student you know yeah yeah yeah. and then and then you came and was, that was just an amazing you know privilege to be sandwiched between two very prolific and very amazing artists oh, that, that I look up to. So I thanks, man. No, that, that's cool. I really, I appreciate it. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard to kind of, uh, sometimes it's hard to kind of continue on the artist Avenue, visual artist Avenue, because it can be isolating. Uh, because when you're are an, a real artist, I think you're trying to push your boundaries and sometimes you know it's your own culture that's like hey what are you doing here i don't really understand this you know what i mean so you know um i think to merge this into like the broader sense right 
what I have learned as well, and what James and all these people has taught me is that that not only are we a cultural artist, but but as a visual artist, we're very similar to every artist as well. Uh, you know, uh, no matter what part of the world they're in, if you're an artist, you're you're part of a certain type of people too. <laughs> so uh, I always acknowledge that is that um, I also really respect a lot of artists that that are that are that have come from all types of backgrounds and been influenced by all types of backgrounds. You know, there's a reason why Van Gogh is influential. It's because you know what moves humans is 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 there's no wall that 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 separates what moves the human being. And I think what artists really know how to do once you really kind of um uh really kind of dial in and tap into it is artists understand the way people visually feel and how those visual things can impact the psyche right and uh um so i'm also like to just say i'm a part of this larger art movement that 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 is very very important and ancient so uh um not only the native and the chicano kind of uh movements that i'm trying to uh, just be another step in the stair you know that's all i can do just being one more step right um i also hopefully an artist that is not you know looking for the cultural kind of information they can see my work and go there's other dimensions he's working with as well there's other things on because some of my work is about economics um i had a piece at the at the museum in spokane where it's called all the cities in the middle east where i pinned up every city that i could find at the time in iraq and it turned out to be like 2,600 cities or towns. And, and the reason why I did that piece is because that was 2007 or, you know, that was kind of, um, or six, I think. This was second Bush era, uh, second, uh, uh, second election Bush era. Um, and, you know, I want to do a piece that was basically just a visual, which was based off of a Chris Burden piece, which is a, another art artist. But when they say, you know, um, the Middle East, the Middle East, what does that really mean? So I wanted to visually uh, represent it with every city that I could find and, and list them in on these little flags. So, you know, that's an installation that took a long time. And, you know, that's more about a broader conversation. You know, I also want to talk about things that I find interesting as well. And, and I shouldn't, an artist shouldn't be limited to, to, to just being, you know, every work has to be about, you know, Chicanismo, you know what I mean? Um, that's okay if it is, but we're also philosophers. You know, we're also uh, business owners. Uh, we're also uh, athletes. I'm a, I'm a contemporary, you know, guy too. So you know, I I have other things I make art and other conversations I like to get into as well. Well, that's part of being American as well as totally. Mexican. Yeah, that that's part of the Chicanoism that we are. Yep, that's our dual, you know, cultural being. Yep, you know? yep. And yeah, yeah, you know, uh, and that that's what's great about when I went down to Mexico City for the first time years ago, you know, that it blew, it blows my mind on how just complex we are as just, you know, from coming from that part of the, of the world up, you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, you know, um, um, another pigeonhole that the United States puts us in is, you know, well, you're, 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 you're a vato loco, you're vato loco out or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. Um, Oh, no, you know, and I think this new generation knows all that. I mean, you know, there it's, it's whatever's happening right now with the protest. This is, this is great. 
you know, uh, the, the, the together, the movement that they're, that, that's being created now. And, um, you know, so, um, you know, I think, uh, people like us, you know, we've done a good job as teachers, you know, we've done some part of it. Yeah. Thank you for your wisdom, man. I, I remember just you, you, one day you were sculpting in class while we were your, your, your pupils and you're like, you know what I really like? I think it was called like, what would you say? Urban, urban planning. I think you said. Oh yes. Yeah. The way planning. you manipulate people to move around in the space. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah, up yeah. until that moment, I'm like, huh, urban planning, you know? So now every now and then when I notice it, oh, it drives me nuts in the, you know, in the town that I live in, but it's just like, there, there, there was that philosopher, Nathan Orozco. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's what, yeah, it, 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 it can, it can drive me. Yeah. It can drive a little crazy. Cause sometimes, you know, I can be a little over analytical, you know, uh, yeah. I've been told that, you know, but yeah, I think in class, in an art class, that's what I still try to do is like, like, yeah, we're all pounding this ball of clay, but how about we start talking about some things that are pretty interesting here. And, uh, um, because I'm generally interested in that, you know, I might've been on a rant that day or something, you <laughs> yeah. know, but, uh, yeah, maybe, but yeah, 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 yeah. The studio is that right. The studio, one thing about the art studio does, no matter if you're an artist or not, you, you, you if you're not studio for three hours and everybody's doing the same thing, it, it's going to break through some sort of, again, another kind of communicative dimension, right? You're all going to start you know, sharing some sort of kind of a higher level consciousness of conversation, mm. you know, and that's, oh. that's, that's, and that, that's almost more important than the project. You yeah. Know, that moment. Yeah. A great philosopher by the name of uh, quest love in his book says that, you know, it, it's a shame that we have cell phones these days, but because it's, it's through the act of thinking about something like, huh, mm -hmm. like what about urban planning? If you stopped and just it kind of just dabbled in that and meditatively just kind of entertain that idea, your, your brain goes in a creative uh, mode and, and you really just go from one thought to another, to another, to another. But if you have your cell phone, you just Google urban planning, you read the definition yeah. and you're done. Yeah, you're done. You know, so, so there has to be this meditative quality to things that you do. You have to be mindful. You have to like get lost in, in, yeah. in the process. And I'm glad. Yeah, you I agree. You know, I mean, I don't know if knowing the answer immediately is, honestly helpful most of the time when it comes to bigger questions mm -hmm. you know what i mean um t you know practical stuff sure yeah but yeah there's a there's a it's almost like giving up <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah it, it is and and um i think prior to that right prior to the prior to like just getting your phone out you thought about how are you going to react to that question before you even thought about the answer so it, it it yeah it's a little more honest character that you're gonna get but yeah but yeah you know i mean um the whole urban planning thing and that whole philosophy is just another metaphor of uh of tools of control and all those types of things you know uh, safety all those of course but um but again you know i think that was me just getting into the larger context of uh, metaphors of do you realize how much I guess you are controlled. Mm -hmm. Well, there you go. Uh, so, <laughs> so we are coming out up, up to an hour and a half. Um, okay. I, I want to make sure that I, we honor your time. We have a lot of, you know, our listeners and us as well have a lot to chew on, a lot to think about and introspectively just kind of find out what, uh, 
you know, what our conversation, what your, what your feedback and advice is really just kind of put in our heads because I'm going to be, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Thank you. Um, but in a good way, you know, I, I need to be thinking about these things more often and I need oh, to be man. more, you know, it's, it's one of those things. If, if you haven't seen his work, please go to his website, NathanOrosco.com um, and see his, his work and how it evolves, but it still kind of keeps the same vibe, same mentality of playing with multiple mediums and, and just intricately making them fit and speak to one another. And, and even the, the different materials that he, he's using have a dialogue. You can see yeah. that, you can sense it, you can, you can smell it. And, and if yeah. you have an opportunity, you know, and you're, if you're in the Portland area, make sure that you look for, look for one of his uh, galleries if, he, mm -hmm. if he's showing. Um, maybe it's after this pandemic. Yeah, I update all my uh, shows on my Facebook page, Instagram, and and um. So yeah, and follow him on Instagram. Um, anything else you want to say to the to our listeners, Nathan? Uh, to everybody, um, be together. You're all good people of the earth. Art is a power. Art is a power that our people and all people pretty much have leaned on for thousands of years. It got us through so many situations things that we can't even imagine we survive things that were done to us for thousands or now hundreds of years nature tested us first certain people are testing us now but we survived because we know nature loves us now speak to the great spirit through your art love one another keep breathing love it thanks a lot hey Nathan, appreciate thank it you so much man it really means a lot that you decided to be on our show because uh people that you haven't had a chance to to get to meet you or see mm -hmm. your work. I mean, I, I hope this this reaches them. Well, I appreciate you too, and uh, I support what you're doing, and uh, we need more of this. So, anytime you guys need my help, let me know. Give me a Will shout do. out. Okay. Thank you. All it's right, Miguel. Nice you. to meet you. All right. Have a good night. Adios. Bueno. We hope you enjoyed this show with Nathan Orozco. Um, if you want to check out his artwork, please go to NathanOrozco.com. Also follow him on Instagram at Nathan11Orozco. Uh, we also have some of his artwork on our personal website at GonzalosPodcast.com. We are your growing source for Latino artists that look and sound and have very similar stories such as yours. So hopefully we can capture the art that resonates with you um, at a personal and a philosophical level. Um, Nathan Orozco definitely talked about that. So um, just to piggyback on that, please listen to our next bonus episode with Alexis Sanchez, who has very close ties to the Native American story, but also our uh, Nepantla story, our not quite Mexican enough, not quite American enough, our bicultural struggle, biracial struggle. And she is, she offers a unique standpoint, uh, being that she is one of a handful of people that are directly linked to our uh, Kennewick man, to the ancient one, the oldest skeleton ever discovered in the United States um, and North America. So make sure you tune in because it's a very interesting conversation, but very pertinent to what we have here, which is the arts, tapping into your roots and discovering who you are and also learning to be comfortable in your skin and learning to be comfortable knowing that you don't have all the answers, knowing that maybe you missed a little bit of information, a little bit of Chicanoism or Latinidad growing up and it's never too late to pick it up and carry it forward. Um, so 
stay tuned. Great conversation with Alexis. Great conversation we had here with Nathan. Uh, stay tuned. Well, until next time, uh, we'll stay humble, stay beautiful, and uh, go on sabos. <laughs>